Hi, this is Rollo Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. We're so glad you chose to join us today. And once again, welcome. If you're joining us for the first time, what we're doing is we are continuing our worship now through the preaching of God's word. And today what we're doing is we're starting a new series, which is going to be entitled The God Who Is. And in the midst of all the confusion, in the midst of all of the disarray, in the midst of all of the cacophony of voices that have been going on around us, we need a foundation and we need an anchor in the person of God who is going to direct us not only in his ways, but his eternal purposes for us during these times in which we live. So um, we're going to actually have our first message as a part of this series today entitled The Meaning of Life, The God Who Is the meaning of life. And we're going to focus on this statement that we will come to know the meaning of life when we discover the God who is. And so today we're going to break this message up into three parts. We're going to talk about number one, who God is. We're going to talk number two about who, how he said to live. And then number three, we're going to talk about what he came to do. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. And we thank you that you've given us um, a clear understanding of not only who you are and who you've called us to be, but what you've called us to do because of what you've done for us. God, we're praying that you would help us live that way by your grace in Jesus name. Amen. So let's begin now with who God is. There was an author and, and philosopher named C.S. Lewis who actually said this, that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is C.S. Lewis saying such a thing as this? And I think the answer was given to us by the Apostle John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, who, when he was writing his gospel, the um, account of Jesus' early life, uh, his ministry, his death, burial, and resurrection, he was giving us an understanding of God and who he is, and then also his importance because of who he is. And in John chapter one, verse one, it says this, in the beginning was the word. And in the Greek, this was a word which was logos or logos. And uh, the word was important. Whenever you see word described here in this John chapter one is speaking of this logos or logos, okay? And it says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Very important. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, this logos, this word, was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and this is John the Baptist, of whom many of you are familiar. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. 
yet the world did not know him, meaning the word. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Now, John, meaning John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. However, the only God who is at the Father's side, he <clears throat> has made him known. Now, when we look at this passage that John's giving us, he's giving us a very clear description of who God is and how we're to know God in the person of Jesus Christ. And this mirrors the Genesis account of creation. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might have read it before. And we see in the Genesis account, uh, Genesis account, the word Genesis actually means beginnings. And he says, in the beginning, God, the uncreated one, there was a God who created the heavens and the earth. And we see that just as in Genesis, it was a creation account. In John, this is a declarative statement of origins, that God is the creator of all things through Jesus Christ and the physical laws of nature, which he established. And we can learn at least four things about God from this text. Number one, we can know that God is uncreated and all things begin with him. This is what it means that God is eternal. If you've ever heard that term before, this is what it means. He's always existed. He is the I am, the self-existing one. Number two, as shared in the Encyclopedia Britannica, Greek culture to whom the Gospel of John was written, understood the terminology used for word, which was logos, as that which was used for the divine reason implicit in the cosmos, ordering it and giving it form and meaning. The word implied the plan for and the meaning of life. Number three, this eternal word became flesh in Jesus Christ. Thus, Jesus is God and shows us the meaning of life. And then number four, God came to have relationship with his creation through the incarnate Christ. And thus, if we're going to understand the meaning of life, we come to do it through our relationship with Jesus. And God himself, God the Father, expresses himself through that relationship. Now, we see that God's nature and character are vitally important because of what the Westminster Catechism actually says, that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This means that it is only in God that we're able to find 
the true meaning of life. And when we remove the crutches of physical accountability, much as we've done during the pandemic, we see where our passions truly lie. And what I mean by that is when you don't have to report to work as you normally do, or you don't have the demands of scheduling as you normally do, you have to ask yourselves what these questions to determine where you're placing your value and meaning in your pursuits in life. You can ask yourselves questions to discover this, such as these. What am I giving myself to when no one else is around. That can help determine your sense of meaning and also your sense of value, what you value. Number two, what do I choose to invest in and pursue? Now, when we're removed from face-to-face encouragement of the people, we realize how desperately we need these structures and these relationships in there by God's design to help us advance in the purposes and God's meaning for life. It's why God had the Israeli prophet Jeremiah speak of misplaced meanings and misplaced priorities when in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11 he said this has a nation changed its gods even though they are no gods but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit be appalled O heavens at this be shocked be utterly desolate declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, or we're going to call that the meaning of life, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Meaning that when people exchange the meaning of life found in God in relationship with him for other pursuits, then they're constantly leaking in their life and finding dissatisfaction, disillusionment, and a sense of a lack of purpose. And what happens when that happens is that our lives implode or they begin to find a sense of being deconstructed. It happens in simple things, even like things like our looks nowadays, right? We're in a culture that places value on people or importance on people based on their attractiveness to the world around them. But what happens when people are no longer physically attractive to the world um, in which they're trying to seek approval or a sense of self-worth, they depended on that sense of validation. What happens? Well, people begin to break down, right? But what God's saying is don't live in those broken cisterns, but come back to me in in relationship through Jesus Christ, and I'll make you whole again. I'll once again reestablish meaning for life in you. And in Christ, you don't have to hold on to things that are destined to change for your value. You can find your anchor in the unchanging one and not just changing things. You also don't have to live someone else's life even vicariously to find true contentment. It's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 10 actually reminded us of what God's trying to communicate to us when he says we are his workmanship. As a Christian, when you belong to God, he says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, you need to hear this. What we're not saying is that all of a sudden your cisterns need to become the works that you do. Because many times people try to replace God and a relationship with God with their works to create a sense of worth or value for themselves. But this what, what when we have a proper understanding of God and relationship with him as the meaning of life, this will provide liberty in our days. And you will understand, according to Ephesians, that you are only expected and required to do the good works for which God has prepared in advance for you to do not what someone else is expected to do. That means your eternal success in daily living is found in the good works as you give yourself to them as God's assigned them to you. Nothing more and nothing less. This kills striving in an unhealthy manner for a sense of purpose and significance, meaning that when you retire one day, that means you actually still have value because your identity and your value is not dependent on what you did. That means that if you actually find yourself not in relationship with somebody that you might have previously identified with before, a romantic relationship or otherwise, your value isn't lost because that's not actually your meaning in life. Your meaning in life is determined by the one to whom you belong. And what it means is that you are a part of a team in the kingdom of God, and you are simply required to be all in for the good of the king, meaning our King Jesus, number two for the good of the team, and you are number three expected to play your role assigned by him. And this will um, help us to, even in tumultuous times like the pandemic, understand why our life and our work still matter. So many people uh, get a sense of uh, dissettle, un unsettledness and disarray whenever their uh, schedules or their work life is thrown off because they don't understand how what they're giving themselves to actually matters beyond the paycheck that they're giving, that they're getting rather. But Dr. Timothy Keller, who was a pastor in Manhattan, actually expressed it this way in his book, Every Good Endeavor, Connecting Your Work to God's Work. He said this, this is reality. Everyone will be forgotten and nothing we do will make any difference. And all good endeavors, even the best, will come to naught. And that even means, even as we finish this past justice series, fighting for justice in our land will ultimately be for naught because it's not eternal. Unless there is God. And if the God of the Bible exists and there is a true reality beneath and behind this one, and this life is not the only life, then every good endeavor, even the simplest ones, pursued in response to God's calling can matter forever. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life that I want to live. I don't want any of my efforts or any of my relationships or anything that I'm sowing my life, time, energy, resources into to actually have only momentary value. I want that which I'm investing in with my life and time and efforts to have eternal significance and value. And that is what you receive when you're connected to God, the meaning of life. And yet this fulfillment 
fulfillment needs to be seen as a sense, uh, as a result of obedience, not actually your source of value. Meaning that my name's Rollin Fisher, but I'm a fisher whether I choose to do the right thing or not. And my family name remains the same, though my choices can either bring honor or disrepute to that name. If I'm only doing good deeds to somehow validate my worth, my works become a taskmaster since I am only as significant as the last deed or work accomplishment. However, this has never been the source of our salvation, right standing or worth before the God before God as communicated in the gospel. God's gospel is a message of grace where we have entry into his kingdom solely because of what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross and not what we've accomplished for him. In this way, we stand forever before God in Christ's merit and not our own. Whenever we step outside of this, we are left to fend for ourselves hiding, excusing, and justifying our shortcomings rather than humbly submitting to the one who can both save and rebuild us. And when we understand him as the meaning of life, that is who God is, then it enables us to have the freedom to follow him into what he has said and how he is said to live. Now, God said to live like him in this world. And when we choose to live like someone, it's basically we're modeling ourselves after them. Or as the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians 5.1, we're to be imitators of God. And this becomes a sense of identity. It's an issue of identity. And your identity is important because it determines how you live. It determines what you pursue. It determines what um, how you respond, even in the midst of tumultuous times like we've been in in our social unrest, and it determines what you do. The revelation of who God has called us to be needs to shape our identity as of first reference. Even as several weeks ago, we talked about the gospel as of first importance, our identity in Christ as a Christian needs to be as of first reference reference, meaning that before I identify myself by anything else, I identify myself by whom I belong to. And it is through Jesus' teachings that we learn more about the character and nature of God so that through the identity as a follower of Christ, I might know even in um, times like these, how I'm to live like him through that identity. And in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three, Jesus in his famous Sermon on the Mount was giving beatitudes, which were basically blessings saying that if you choose to live in these ways, like God, reflecting his character and nature, you'll be blessed or happy in the pursuit of the meaning of life that he has for you. And he said in verse three, we should start this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word poor in that scripture meant not just somebody who, uh, you know, was barely scraping by, but it was somebody who was so utterly destitute that they had nothing to bring to the table. They were so poor that they couldn't do 
anything for themselves and had to depend on that which was given them. And that's what God's saying about the gospel and our identity in him, that we need to start with that, that if we're going to have the meaning of life, we we need to understand there's going to be no satisfaction, no peace, no rest until God himself gives us that which is from heaven, a meaning in life coming from him. And he says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This great paradox, right? That God's showing us even through um, um, the injustices that we see that we should mourn with those who mourn. And when we're, we're blessed when we do that because we're once again realigned with what's important in life rather than the comforts and the pursuits that we could otherwise um, give ourselves to bypassing the important matters of life. He says, Verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. And that word meek does not, is not synonymous with weakness, but it instead means a controlled strength, a controlled um, effort giving in, given at the right, in the right measure at the right time. That's what meekness means. They'll inherit the earth. And verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Even the biblical justice that we've been talking about, having a hunger and a thirsting for it as we labor for it, God says we will be satisfied. Verse seven, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And even understanding how to be like God, responding to offense and the like during these times. And Lord knows I've had to uh, deal with much of that during this time. Uh, He says, blessed though are the merciful because uh, they will be shown mercy. And at, at some point, all of us are going to need to receive mercy. So we need to give it before we expect to receive it, right? And blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And that's what we want to, um, at the end of the day, see in all of the meaning of life. We want to know and see God in all of our circumstances, in all of our situations, and not be so attached to agendas that we miss the God who should be defining for us what the ends of those agendas should actually be. He said, blessed are the, verse nine, peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And that's what the Bible was talking about in John chapter one, that we want to be called sons and for the women, daughters of God through our faith in Christ. But we need to be peacemakers in the midst of the combativeness of our culture. We want to be those who seek peace between humanity, man and man, but first it coming through God and man being reconciled to God through the cross. And then finally, verse 11, he says, blessed are you, um, verse 10 rather, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you choose to do God's um, things God's way, maybe not everybody might agree with you, but he said, blessed are you because yours is the kingdom of heaven during those times. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that's the company that we want to keep in pursuing God as the meaning of life. And your identity in Christ, we need to embrace this, is literally the only thing that will last for eternity. When you become a Christian, God calls you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and he gives you his identity, which is to trump all other identities. In Galatians 3, verse 27 through 29, Paul spoke about it this way. He said, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
and identity. There is neither Jew nor Greek, which were ethnicities. There is neither slave nor free, socioeconomic status. There is no male nor female, gender, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's, meaning the father of the faith, offspring, heirs according to the promise. And what that practically means is that being Christian does not mean that I no longer have an ethnicity, but it does mean my Christianity defines my allegiances, my responses to offense, and my activity in the world. And that response is modeled for me by Jesus Christ himself at the cross. And it is an idolatry of identity if you put anything before the God you worship and the manner in which he chooses to both define and liberate you. This is true whether it be your nationality, your ethnicity, your sexuality, your class, or your political affiliation. Your identity doesn't need to be in any of those things before it is in the fact that you are a child of the living God. And this is the great trap of even identity politics that we see causing so much trouble in our um, nation today. We need to give ourselves to that way that God identifies us and then live as he lives to find true meaning in life. This is why a old pastor named David Martin Lloyd-Jones actually said this, that why are there wars in the world? Why is there this constant international tension? What is the matter with the world? Why war and all the unhappiness and turmoil and discord amongst men? According to the Beatitudes, there is only one answer to this of these questions, and it is sin. Nothing else, just sin. And sin is literally us identifying ourselves as anything other than what God says we're supposed to be and trying to find meaning in things outside of those very things. And that is why we have to embrace what Jesus actually came to do when he became, when he actually not became, but he actually put on flesh and actually be, um, um, was God incarnate to walk amongst us, to show us who God is, to show us how to live and then accomplish what he came to do. And God came to restore the meaning of life by destroying the power of sin and death in fallen humanity. He, um, he, he made this clear in one of his first communications after his temptation in the desert where he was overcoming um, the devil by the word of God. And he went back into the city proclaiming the focus of his ministry. And in Luke chapter 4, 17, he took a scroll written by the uh, prophet Isaiah um, and it was given to him. And it said he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus handed the scroll back to them and said, in this moment, at this time, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Meaning Jesus is saying, I came to do this. And when we understand who Jesus is, we also understand who, what God came to do. 
And what he came to do was proclaim freedom to us, freedom in our hearts, freedom in our souls, freedom from oppression, freedom from captivity, from addictions and sin habits and patterns that were keeping us embattled and in hatred towards one another, keeping divisions between ethnicities and political affiliations and all the like that is causing distress in our world as we know it today. Jesus said, I'm going to reach down inside of you and set you free and break the yoke of Satan off of your mind and heart, giving you the ability to walk in the love and the meaning of life that I determined for you because I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit as you repent from your wicked ways and turn to me and choose to live as I intended you actually created you to live. That's what God said he's coming to do. And Jesus can help us even in the practical things of life. He can help you in your anxieties, comfort you in your fears, and free you from your resentments. He has stood in your place at the cross to shoulder your guilt. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus provides hope as you press through life's discouragements, even in the midst of the injustices. God does so because he made you, he understands you, and he's authored meaning in life. So for every one of these, there is a scripture that ushers you into the liberty and life of God if you choose to turn to him, believe him, and trust him. And it's why David Martin Lloyd-Jones also said this, that the terrible, tragic fallacy of the last hundred years has been to think that all man's troubles are due to his environment and that to change the man, you have to have nothing to do but change his environment. That is a tragic fallacy. It overlooks the fact that it was in paradise, meaning Eden, where all was perfect, that man fell. That means that the sin wasn't in the environment, the sin was internal. And whenever we have an internal problem, the only solution for internal problems is an internal regeneration. And that's what God provides through the gospel, through Christ's resurrection from the dead, by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit. God brings us back into reconciled relationship with himself and then brings us back into reconciled relationship with others in humanity who we need to love as God has loved us. So what are we to do? We are to understand that, again, as we've said before, no one is innocent and we're all guilty of sin and we all need a perfect savior to pay for that sin and redeem us to make us like him. Jesus did this for us at the cross and calls us to a restoration of life with meaning through repentance and faith in him today, where we can come through his word to know him again, understand our identity given by him, and then find out how to live in the liberty of what he came to accomplish through his death, burial, and resurrection today, if we choose him. So my appeal to you, no matter where you started today, is choose him afresh today. Choose him afresh today. Throw out dead religion, throw out the caricatures, throw out all the bad examples you've seen, and come not to a political party, but come to God Almighty, who can make you new for eternity and give you the meaning that you've been so desperately longing for 
for in Jesus name. Now, if you hear this and you say, you know what? I have made a mess of my own life and I know that I've been problematic in the community around me because how I've been living and relating, not just to others, but to God himself. And I know that I've been a rebel, but I am ready to run from my destructive ways and run to a God who can make me new, give me true meaning and recreate me to live in the purpose he created me for. If that's you today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I, I acknowledge to you today that I've been a rebel and that I've been destructive in my living, um, not only destroying my own life, but being um, a, a, an author of destructive um, patterns towards others. And I know that I deserve death and hell because of my rebellion against you, but I don't want it. And I ask you to forgive me today. I believe that you sent Jesus, the son of God, to take on flesh and to live the life I should have lived and on the cross, die the death I should have died. And because he was innocent, three days later, raise him from the dead so I could have that forgiveness and new life in you. God, I say that Jesus is my Lord today. I turn from my sin and I'm asking you to make me a new creation. Show me how to love you and follow you in my new identity and your ways for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer sincerely, the good news is, is that God says he's made you a new creation. And I want you to join me at secondcitychurch.com slash new life. There you can find not only next steps, but resources and how to walk out this new identity and this new walk with God. We look forward to joining you in community groups and helping you to walk out this new life in him together. Now, if that wasn't you, but you say again, I, I see what God's doing. I see what he wants to do in our land. And I want to continue to pray with you for it. Why don't you join me in this last prayer? As we um, go back into worship, almighty God, we thank you again that you are the God who is, who was, and who is to come. And God, we thank you that you are constantly in the mode of revival, bringing people from death to life, from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God. And Lord, we're asking that you would pour out your mercy and you would pour out your uh, uh, kindness, leading people to repentance in our land. Turn us, O oh God, from our wicked ways and help us to find you in this hour. God, we're praying that you would revive our land and help us to let them um, to see peace where there was unrest, to see really reconciliation where there was enmity, and really to see your eternal kingdom come on earth in our cities as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. And again, we are intent on getting to know the God who is. The Bible clearly says that Jesus said that, um, now this is eternal life, that you might know the only living God and Jesus Christ who he sent. So let's join together in community groups, even this week, to discover a little bit more about this God who is and walk in his eternal purposes, the actual meaning of life for us throughout this week and forevermore in Jesus' name. God bless you. We'll see you this week. And please do bring a friend next week. Have a great one. We love you.